Well, one of the uh, one of the good things we, we we have going on here at Grace, we got a lot of veterans in our church, and that was just a small, small sampling of them. And so, uh, Veterans Day is Wednesday, and so one of the things that we like to do here at Grace, we like to honor our vets. And so, right now, uh, if you have served in any of the branches of the armed forces, if you would go ahead and stand up for us, we actually have a small gift that we like to give you. Go ahead. I know you're out there, okay? Um, But we want to show you our appreciation. And we thank you so much uh, for your service and for serving uh, not just our church, all right, but also, also our country. And, um, and so we cannot, really, we cannot thank you enough. Uh, one of the things that we do around this time of year, if you haven't noticed yet, um, right here, and as, as you walked in, you notice the Operation uh, Christmas Child boxes. You guys seen those? All right. Yeah. All right. You've seen those. All right. They, uh, those, um, are, that's a, kind of a unique thing that a lot of churches uh, do, but, uh, but those boxes, all you have to do is you got to take one home, you fill it up with a Stuff like toothbrushes and toys, and uh, and you bring them back here, and those are shipped all throughout the world and given to children who are a lot less fortunate than any child here is in the United States is or any child here is, and um, and it's just kind of a cool thing that we're able to do. Uh, Cheryl was telling me that, uh, and, and we get this: it's, it's more than just what's in the boxes, right? Like that's nice and is cool for a short while, I guess, in a child's life. But it's a lot more than that. It's the message that comes with those boxes, and it's the message of what Jesus has done for each and every one of those children as he died for them. And so we want them to know that message. Uh, Cheryl was telling me that statistically, each box kind of represents, uh, statistically again, um, up to 10 people that get to hear uh, the message of Jesus. And so for every box, that reaches about 10 people. And so you talk about bang for your buck, like that's it, $10 box or so. And so we encourage everyone to, as you leave today, grab a box, grab a couple boxes, and uh, fill them up this week. Go to Walmart, fill them up. It's not, you know, it's, again, not too expensive at all. And, uh, and bring them back here. Last year we did 435 boxes. This year we're going to do over 500 boxes. And so uh, we, need, we need you guys. It's like if everybody just goes out and grab a box, fill it up, you know, we'd be good. I was actually just talking with a lady who is um, at last service. She was saying that what she does, she's a, she's a grandma. She says she takes out her grandkids, and, uh, and they go shopping. She lets her grandkids kind of shop for, for the stuff in the box, which is kind of cool, right? And, uh, and she uses that to, you know, teach them how to give, I guess, you know, just kind of a, kind of a cool thing. I remember my mom taking us out when, when I was little, and we fill up the boxes. And picking out the stuff, super fun as a kid, you know what I mean? But then you take it home and it just sat there all week, and you're like, the toys are right there on my kitchen table. You know, just, that was horrible. But if you're a grandma, that's a good situation because then they don't have to look at it all week. So um, sounds pretty good. Also, I uh, want to recognize the Tiffin Columbian Tornadoes and the coaches uh, that are here at our church, Judd Lutz, right over there. They are in their sixth round, the sixth round of the playoffs. They got... Only two games left, right, Judd? And then the season's over, okay, with the state championship. So uh, we'll take that. But, uh, no, it's, uh, it's been fun following them, even though it's COVID and, you know, it's hard. 
fans, you know, there's been way, way, way less people because they have to make it that way. But, uh, but what, a, you know, just such a, such a fun year. So like I said last year, last week, it's always fun watching our, our kids from our church dominating other kids. So I'll do that any, any other day. Hope well, Loudon, you guys had a really good season as well, though things did not turn out super well on Friday. But, uh, but still, you did, you did great. So wanted to recognize, wanted to recognize you guys as well. Well, it has been a crazy week, okay? It has been a crazy, I mean, shoot, it's been a crazy year. Uh, 2020 has been, has been kind of nuts. And sometimes, this is what I know because this is me, um, sometimes for us as Christians, okay, it is really easy for us to question God. You guys ever struggle with that? Me and this other guy over here, we're the only ones, all right? <laughs> but uh, for the rest of you, you guys don't have to listen, um, but for whoever that was. But, um, but yeah, it's easy for us to question God, okay? It, and I'm not saying just, I'm saying with anything in our life. You know, sometimes we're just like, all right, just think about this past year. You know, sometimes we're just like, God, I don't understand what you're doing here or why, or why you're allowing this to happen. Um, sometimes, and, and we question God, Really what it boils down to is we're finding it hard to trust God. It comes down to trust. And today what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up our series, In God We Trust. And what I want to do today is I want to look at a real, true story all right, that happened thousands of years ago. We're going to look at an Old Testament story. I don't feel like uh, we, we don't do that that often, just a, just a one Sunday story type thing. And so I personally like that better, and it's more fun for me, so we're doing it this week. Uh, but, uh, but if, so you guys good with that? We're just going to look at a story and find out, just do some old school, find out what God's trying to teach us, and, and move on. So um, we're going to look at this guy named Gideon. Okay, he's a young man. Uh, he, his situation was completely different than the situation that we're in today. But I feel like Gideon at times felt the exact same way that many of us do today. Okay, and so let me give you some of the background. Israel is in a desperate, desperate, desperate state. Um, it's not going well for the nation of Israel. They're not following God. They're worshiping all these fake gods, all these idols. And uh, they're doing, the Bible says they're doing whatever they feel like is right in their own eyes. Okay, everybody's just kind of doing their thing. There's no leader. It's all chaotic. Um, it's just, no one's following God. It's just not going well. And so what God has allowed to happen within this nation is he has allowed a neighboring nation called Midian to kind of come in and they have kind of overrun Israel. And uh, this has been going on. They've invaded the land. This has been going on for the last seven years. And the Bible says that these people, these Midian people, are so numerous and powerful that there is absolutely nothing that Israel could do. Nothing they could do about it. All right, these foreign people are in their land, and they, they don't care. These people are impossible to count. And so every year, these people really invaded, kind of mostly during one part of the year, and that was during harvest time. So if you can imagine, Israel, um, they didn't have, uh, the people living back then didn't have grocery stores where they could just go pick up some bread, pick up some milk. You know, they couldn't do that. Uh, they had to plant their crops and, you know, had to have, like, livestock and stuff like that. That's how they ate. That's how they survived throughout the year. And so every year during harvest time, the Midian people, they knew this because they're not idiots, all right? They came in and they would um, take 
Israel's harvest, right? They would take all their food, they would take all their livestock, anything that they could find that they wanted, they just took. And again, there's nothing that Israel could do about it. And so Israel, they're in this constant stage of just living in fear. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what's going to happen next. And the people of Israel, they're hiding in caves. They're on top of mountains hiding. They're just, all they're trying to do is just trying to survive, okay? I mean, can you imagine for a second, like, just try to, I know we live in a completely different times, but just try to picture kind of how that would be, all right? You're trying to feed your family, trying to take care of your family, all right? People are, can come up unannounced anytime they want and just raid your house, all right? Raid your refrigerator, all right? It's just, it's just a terrible situation, and the oppression gets so bad that the nation of Israel who, those pe- the Israelites, the people who left God originally, they actually start to come back to God, crying out to God for help, right? Kind of like how a lot of us do, right? We do that sometimes. When our life's going really good, at least this is how it is for me. Maybe you guys are so much better than me. I don't know, all right? Uh, probably are. But, uh, but this is how it is for me. Life's going good. I got a lot of good things happening. For me, it is way easier in those times to kind of get my focus off God onto all the good stuff. You get what I'm saying? And so um, I think a lot, of us are, a lot of us are like that. That's kind of how the nation of Israel was uh, for, for a while. But then when something bad happens, so we're ignoring God. It's not like we don't just, it's not like we just don't believe in God anymore. We just don't trust in God anymore. It's more just, we just kind of forget, right? We just kind of ignore him. We, we change our focus. And so Israel did that. And then when something bad happens in our life, Right? That's when we go to God. We're like, God, what's happening? What's going on? All right, now I'm talking to you, God, because this thing, you need to take care of this thing in my life. That's where Israel's at. All right, they're going, God, what's the deal here? All right, so to start our story, uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 11 says this. It says, Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Now, First, let me tell you a little bit about threshing wheat in case you haven't threshed wheat in your backyard for a while, okay? Um, threshing wheat, what they would do, they're just separating the grain from, like, the stalks of wheat, okay? So they would do this. They would get, like, a basket. They would put the grain in there, and um, they'd go on top of a hill where it was super, super windy, and they would kind of uh, toss the, the grain up in the, or they'd toss, like, the wheat up in the air. The chaff would blow away from the wind, and the grain is too heavy, so it would just fall right down. So they do that like, I don't know, a hundred times or so. I have no idea. I've never done that before. Um, we got combines and stuff now. Thank goodness. But, uh, but they'd do that for a while, and then all of a sudden they'd have all the grain, and that's, that's what threshing wheat was. So it's super interesting here that Gideon, he is doing this threshing wheat thing in a wine press. Now, a wine press would be a terrible place to thresh wheat. Why? Because a wine press is literally a pit in the ground where there's like no wind, Okay. So there's not much wind there. It's the exact opposite. Instead of being up high on a hill, he's down in this hole threshing wheat. And why is he there? Because he's hiding from the Midianites. Right? He's hiding from the, from the people of Midian. He doesn't want them to know um, that, he, that he's got this little bit of food and he's trying to feed his family and all this stuff. And so God, he's doing this. He's hiding in this hole. And God comes up and he's just like, oh, valiant warrior, what's up? You know, what's, what, what's going on? And in a play... Or a movie, this would be a scene where, like, people would laugh, all right? It almost sounds like God is mocking him. It almost sounds like a joke. You got this young guy. He's hiding in a hole. 
He's afraid. He's hoping the Midianite people won't see him. And God comes up and he says, hey, valiant warrior. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't seem right. And so at first, Midian, or at first Gideon, he doesn't understand that he's talking to God. He thinks it's just an angel. He's like, okay, this is weird. But then later on, um, which we won't necessarily get into all the details, then he, he realizes that it is God. But at first, Gideon kind of calls God out. He's like, well, what are you calling me, valiant warrior? Like, look at me. I'm in this pit. I'm hiding. I'm afraid. And he says, if, if God is with us, why has all this happened to our nation? He's like, look around. Look at Israel. Look at, look at my nation. All right, my na- nothing's going well. I mean, people are dying. People are starving to death. This is a terrible thing. And then he's like, hey, God, you know, where's God's miracles? Right, like our ancestors, I grew up listening to stories about how God and Moses, and they led people, you know, across the Red Sea, and they did all, God had all these miracles to show us, where, where are those at? And then Gideon just basically says, he's like, mm-mm, God's abandoned us. Like, if God is real, if he's, actually, if, he, if he's actually out there, he doesn't care about us, he has completely left us, he's abandoned us. Do you ever feel far away from God like that? I mean, this is, this is how Gideon feels right here. This, this is what he's saying. To God. Right, ever have something going on in your, in your life that you're like, I don't quite understand what's going on, where you question God? I don't know, maybe some of you, you feel like that, like right now. You're like, I don't get it. I don't get what God is doing. And so God, as Gideon pushes back to him, God doesn't explain everything to Gideon. God doesn't say, well, well I, good point, Gideon, uh, but I haven't abandoned you. Actually, what has happened is you guys have left, is, left me as your God. You started, fake, you started chasing after all these fake gods, and so, yeah, I allowed this bad stuff to happen really to turn you back to me, which, by the way, Gideon, is working because now you guys are crying out to me. He doesn't say that. Right? He doesn't explain all that to him. All, right? all he says is, is, he answers this. He says in verse 14, he says, the Lord t- turned to him. So he's like, Gideon's like, wah, 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 all this stuff. And he's like, go, Gideon, in the strength that you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. He said to him, Gideon pushes back even more. He's like, please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Like, look, in case you haven't noticed, my family is the weakest in, in Manasseh. That's his tribe. He's like, my family is the weakest in my tribe, and I am the youngest in my father's family. Basically, what Gideon is, is trying to say, he's like, what? You're going to send me? God, that sounds like a terrible plan. All right, that, doesn't, that doesn't sound right. I don't know if you've noticed, but my family is the weakest in our tribe. I'm the youngest in my family. Basically, what Gideon is saying, he's like, I am a nobody. I can't do that. What am I going to do? But God says, no, I'm sending you anyway. But before you go, what I want you to do is uh, I want you to first destroy the altars to this, this fake God that they were all worshiping called Baal. He's like, first, I want you to take care of your own house. First, you need to get rid of the fake gods out of your own house. And so I want you to go. I want you to destroy the altars in the, in the, um, in the idols of, of Baal in your, in your town and I want you to replace it with an altar to the Lord. Check this out in verse 27. It says, So Gideon took ten of his male servants, and he did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid, because he was questioning God's plan of his father's family and, and, the, and the men of the, of the city to do it in the, in the daytime, it says he did it at night. So even with this, Gideon kind of chickens out, 
right? Like, think about it. God has already told them, hey, I'm going to use you. You're going to defeat Midian. We're going to bring Israel back. But, but here's Gideon. He already knows, like, the end game there, or at least that he's going to be around for that. But here he's too afraid to even face his own dad. He's too afraid to face his own, to face his own family. Like, to him, he's just like, ah, I don't really know about that. And so, but he does it. He does it at night because he's afraid. And when, in the morning, when the, men, when, when the men wake up, they notice that their idol has been, has been cut down, and they are ticked, right? So they do some investigating. They find out that it was Gideon. And so they call. They're like, you know, we need to find Gideon and bring him here because Gideon deserves to die. And so Gideon's dad kind of swoops in. He's like, whoa, 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 I'm not so sure Gideon should, like, be put to death. He, he, Gideon's dad, it kind of makes logical sense. He's like, if Baal is a real god, let Baal take care of Gideon. He's like, if Baal's a real god, he doesn't need you. He doesn't need you guys sticking up for him or you guys, you know, avenging him. He's like, let, let, Baal will take care of Gideon. And so that answer seems to satisfy the guys or no one could really argue against it. And, um, and so they're like, okay, I guess, we'll, I guess we'll let that happen. Well, in the meanwhile, this huge Midianite army crosses into Israel. Got like 135,000 men. And so Gideon, he sends out messengers, and he gathers a small army together. It's got like 32,000 men. Now, to us, 32,000 sounds like a lot, or at least it does to me. I'm like, well, that's, a, that's a lot of people, all right? But against 135,000, that's like four to one odds. Like, they're, you know, they're four times more than them. And so it's not good. And so Gideon starts questioning God's plan. He's like, whoa, God. Like, this isn't a fair fight. This doesn't make any sense. You, I only have, have one-fourth of the whole Midianite army, and he gets afraid, and he starts questioning, hey, is this a good plan? And he starts asking for a sign. And so he makes this deal with God. He says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I want, I want a sign to make sure that this is actually your plan and that this is going to work. And Because think about it. It's his life on the line, right? I mean, he's going to get killed or not. So um, he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this. Uh, piece of wool or fleece or whatever, I'm going to put it on the ground. And uh, when I wake up in the morning, I want the wool to be, to be wet and I want the ground to be completely dry. And if that happens, then I know that, uh, that, that this is your plan and your plan is going to work. So he lays the, the wool out on the ground. He goes to sleep. He wakes up in the morning. He comes, checks out the wool. The whole ground is dry and the wool is wet. Actually, he wrings out the wool and it, it fills up a bowl of water, all right? And in... Uh, you know, it, it works and everything. It's like the sham wow. You've seen those? Remember those commercials where it just like sucks everything in? All right? It's kind of like that. And he's like, whoa, there's a lot of water in here. And, uh, and then Gideon does exactly what I would do. I start wondering about it. I'd be like, okay, wait, just a second. All right, if I put a sham wow on the ground, you know, um, the, the ground would dry faster than that, right? Seems like it would. That'd probably, like a sponge, right? That'd be the last thing. Um, that, would, that, would, that would dry out. And uh, he's like, yeah, that probably naturally happened. Have you ever come up with an like idea that you thought was really good, but then later you're like, that was so stupid? You know what I mean? Nobody? Okay, okay, all right. All right. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, definitely. I do that all the time. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's kind of what I'm guessing Gideon. He's just like, oh, I'm so stupid. That would probably naturally happen that way. By the way, that's the problem with asking God for signs. 
right? Because it happens, and we wonder, well, how do I know that was really from God and not just some, not just some natural thing? So Gideon goes back to God, and he's like, hey, God, um, I had to do that thing. That was actually probably way too easy. Um, actually, could you reverse it? I'll lay down the piece of wool. I'm going to go to my tent. I'm going to sleep. A nice, peaceful night. I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to come back here. And I want the ground to be, uh, what is it this time? I'm, uh, yeah, I want the ground to be wet, and I want the wool to be dry. Exactly opposite. All right? So he does it. He lays the wool. He goes back to bed. You know, he, he, he wakes up in the morning, and all of a sudden, the wool is completely dry, and the ground is wet. And so Gideon's like, okay, 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 okay. I believe you now. This is your plan. This is going to work. All right, I'm, I'm here. And, uh, and so Gideon is ready, but God's not. Next verse. It says, the Lord said to Gideon, he says, hey, you have uh, a problem here. You have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to them, or else Israel might elevate themselves over me and say, I saved myself. All right? He's like, well, here's, the, here's the issue. Even though you guys are outnumbered four to one, he's like, even if I let you guys win, you guys will think you did it. It won't be a miracle to you. All right? Even though the odds are really impossible, you guys would still think, you guys would have so much pride that you guys would go, oh, look at us, look at us. He says, and so this is what I want you to do, Gideon. Now I want you to announce to the troops, whoever is fearful and trembling, basically, basically if you're afraid, you may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. That's the hill that they were all camped on. And so I'm sure Gideon is thinking, okay, I'm going to do this. Like, think about it. These are like manly men. These guys are the one that answered the call to fight, you know. These are like, this is like the the toughest men in Israel. And so he's like, ah, maybe a few hundred of them will peel away. You know, who knows? Uh, but he says, hey, if you're afraid, that's okay. You could go ahead and go home, you sissy. No, he probably didn't say that. But he says, he says so 22,000 of the troops turned back. He's like, oh, well, two-thirds of his army were like, all right, we're out, okay, we're done. He said, but 10,000 of them remain." All right, so Gideon, he was freaking out when he had 32,000. Now he only has 10,000. Right, he was questioning God when he had 32,000. Now he has 10,000. I'm sure he's questioning God, right? And then this happens. It says, then the Lord said to Gideon, he says, um, even with 10,000, I think you guys will still have pride and think that you're so good. He says, so there are still too many troops. Why don't you, why don't you take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Now this gets a little complicated, but stick with me. He says, if I say to you, hey, this one could go with you, then he can go, all right? But if I say about anyone, hey, this one cannot go with you, then he can't go. Okay, we get that. So he brought the troops down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, he says, so I want you to separate everyone who laps water with his tongue like a dog. Do the same with everyone who kneels to drink. So basically, I've heard preachers preach all kinds of stuff about this, like, oh, there's some significance of one way of drinking or the other, and there's not. I don't think there is. I think God's just trying to separate, the, separate his, his, his army, all right? So he's like, there's two ways that people are drinking. Some people get down on their hands and knees, and they drink right out of the water, all right? That's cool. And some people, what they do is they cup the water, and they bring it up to their mouth, and they, he says, lap it like a dog. Like, they drink it this way. So he's like, I want you to separate the two groups of men that way, all right? So the number of those who lapped with their hands to their mouths, like, this, he says, was 300 men. And all the rest of the troops, they knelt to drink the water. And so the Lord said to Gideon, he says, actually, I'm going to deliver you with the 300 men who lapped um, and hand the Midianites over to you. But everyone else, send them home. And so Gideon did it. 
he sent all the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 troops. So now Gideon's down to 300. Again, he's been questioning God throughout this whole process going, I don't quite understand your plan. This doesn't really seem to make sense here. This doesn't seem to make sense there. And, uh, and he's questioning when he had over 32,000. I mean, you think he's questioning now? He's down to 300. You know, you think Gideon's going, you know, God, I'm not, maybe you haven't done war in a while, you know, um, but uh, it sure seems to me that the more people we have, probably the better. Right? And he's questioning God, and God's, and God's the expert. Have you ever questioned an expert before? We're like, ah, that doesn't sound right. All right, just, uh, what was it, two weeks ago, um, two weeks and a day, two weeks ago, Saturday night, I was uh, at church working on my message, trying to figure out what I was going to say for our family meeting. And, um, and uh, so I was working on it, and I got a frantic call, or I got a call from my frantic wife, okay? And Kate, she calls me, she's like, um, my, she says, Lizzie, our daughter, she's was one, now she's over one. She grows up so fast, all right? Or basically one-year-old. She, um, she, she said, I, I found her, she was walking around, she, I found her, she had like a pin in her mouth, like a map pin, like something like this, okay? So she had it in her mouth, and she's like, so I pulled it out, and I'm like, well, good. That could have been bad, right? And she's like, no, but now she's kind of coughing. I'm worried that she may have eaten one or swallowed one, and I'm like, yeah, just thinking about that makes me, like, uncomfortable. And so I'm like, so she's like, what do I do? I'm like, uh, I don't know. Um, let me call somebody. So I called Dr. Wookie. If you guys, um, he's, he's a ER doctor at the Fremont campus. So I call him up, and I'm like, hey, uh, doc. And he was actually on his tractor on his farm. And he's like, I'm like, hey, my daughter, my one-year-old, she may have swallowed a pen, but probably not. Um, is what do I do? You know, is that, obviously that'd be terrible, but, you know, and he's like, well, you need to find out if she has that, if she did, if she has the pin inside of her. And, uh, and so he ordered us an, an outpatient x-ray at Memorial Hospital in Fremont. He says, I'll, I'll order you an x-ray. You just go in and then you call me and tell me if they're, if they're in there. So I'm like, okay. So I took her, uh, I took Lizzie to the hospital. We went in, we got our x-ray and, um, and the x-ray technician, you know, he takes, I'm holding her down. She's squirming. It's kind of crazy. And, uh, and I'm holding her. And I'm like, so, what I'm, and he's like, so what are you doing? Well, like, what doctor do I need to send these to? I'm like, actually, there's no doctor. Uh, you just need to tell me if there's, a, like, a pin. Like, and I'm describing it like, you know, one of those pins. I think she ate it, you know. Um, see if that's inside of her. And so, you know, he's like, what, what are you doing? You know, I'm, and, I'm, and he's like, well, He's looking at the x-ray, and he says, I cannot tell you legally if she has that in there or not. I'm like, well, I got to know. Like, that depends on what I do next, okay? I got to tell the doctor who's on his farm what, what's going on. And, uh, and he's like, well, I, well, I'll show you the x-ray. So I'm like looking at it. I don't know how to read an x-ray. You know, like I could do anything. And he's like, well, there's the x-ray, so you could just, I'm like, what? What? don't know what I'm doing. And I'm like, well, what would it look like? And he's like, well, usually metal shows up really white. And I'm like, it's a black and white picture, right? Like there's half of it's white. And uh, like the, you know, the bone, it's all white. And so I'm like, well, I just need you to tell me. He's like, well, I'll send it to radiology and then they'll look at it and they'll tell, they'll call, I'll have them call Dr. Wookie. Like they're 
pushing me out of it, man. I'm like, I'm trustworthy. And uh, he's like, and then I'll have them call Dr. Wookie. And, and so they do that. And Dr. Wookie gives me a call maybe half an hour, 45 minutes later. And he's like, man, she must have been hungry because she ate four of them. And I was like, I'm like holding her tight. And I'm like, whoa, I don't want to hold her too tight. It's like a pin cushion, you know. <laughs> Pop something in there. I don't know how that works. And I'm like, okay, what do I do with her? Um, and he's like, well, just let him go. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, um, the, the like, smallest is the smallest area or the narrowest area is the esophagus. He's like, once it got through there, he's like, three of them are already in her intestines and one's in her stomach. And he's like, he's like, they'll probably come out. And I'm like, well, that sounds like a bad plan, <laughs> right? Like, that's not good. She got four of them in there. What if they're in a clump? They'll snag something or, you know, that's, even, even if she passed them, I'm like, they'll be in her diaper. Like, no, she'll be like sitting on pins, right? The whole thing just kind of makes me, actually, get rid of this picture because it's freaking me out, okay? Please. Um, the whole thing just like, uh, I was, I'm sweating up here now just thinking about it. And, um, and, and I'm just like, that does not make sense. Like, that sounds, that is a, I know you're the expert and I know you're a doctor, but that sounds like a terrible idea, and I don't know what else there is to do, but there's got to be something else than just, like, let it go, right? That's how I think we are with God a lot of times. Like, God's the expert. He's got this plan. His plan is not how we would do it, right? But a lot of times, we don't really know how we would do it. We're just like, well, I don't like that. I think a lot of times, this, this, this is what we're doing. By the way, she did pass all four pins the next day, two weeks ago on Sunday, and three more little plastic balls that uh, didn't show up in the x-ray because they were plastic. So she actually ate like seven pieces of pins. So we're watching her, and, and I kept them, and we saved them in a little jar. We'll give it to her on like her graduation day or something. Like here's your pin, you know, whatever. But anyway, that's how we view God. Or that's how, not how we view God, that's how we treat God. Or that's how we think about God. Like, like with this year, 2020, a lot of times, you know, at least, maybe, again, maybe you're different than me. But for me, it's just like, so God, COVID, why? <laughs> why are we doing this? All right, this sounds like this just doesn't seem like it's good for it. I don't even make it, we can even spiritualize it. All right, number one, it's inconvenient for me. But uh, we don't like to say that first. I'm like, well, it's not good for the church, right? It is, it's this whole thing, doing, doing church at the drive-in, okay, was not fun for for me, I was freezing, or I was sweating, or I was getting rained on for most of the time. And I'm just like, why? Like, this doesn't seem like it's the best plan. Right? This doesn't seem like it's the best, it's the best way to, to do things. Right? Or a lot of you guys, you're going, you're going, so God, the election. I don't quite understand what you're doing here. Or I don't quite understand why. Even if, even if uh, it doesn't really matter what camp, it's like, why, why can't it just be a, a, a smooth thing? Why has it got to be so, so messy this time around? Why has it got to take so long? Right, what's going on with all well, why, why, God, why, why is this happening? I don't understand why. See, a lot of times we look at something that's happening in our nation or around us, and to us it's like, we, we ask the question, we're like, if God is in control, Why? Or maybe it's more personal. Maybe it's a, something is happening in your life right now. And to, to you, it's just like, 
I don't, get, I don't understand why this is happening to me or this is happening to my friend or why I'm being diagnosed with this or why this happened to this. I, I, I don't understand. Like, if God is in control, why? And we start to question. And throughout this entire story, the way that Gideon would do things and the way that God does things, if you haven't noticed, are completely different. God allows a neighboring nation to come in, Midian, and to oppress the, uh, oppress the Israelite people. And Gideon's like, that's a bad plan. That makes no, that makes no sense. I don't understand why. And then God says, hey, Gideon, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you to, to bring Israel back. And Gideon's just like, me? I'm a nobody. Like, that's, that's a bad plan. That makes no sense. I don't understand why. And then God says, first, I want you to go cut down this idol in your own town. And Gideon's just like, that's a bad plan. That makes no sense. I don't understand why. But I'll do it. And, and, he, and he's afraid, so he does it at night. And then God then he gathers his army. And God's like, hey, uh, Gideon, you have too many men. I'm going to whittle this thing down to 10,000. Then Gideon's like, whoa, that sounds like a bad plan. That makes no sense. I don't understand why. And then God goes to Gideon. And he says, you stubbed too many. I'm going to whittle this thing down to 300. And then Gideon's just like, that's a bad plan. That makes no sense. I don't understand why. And throughout the whole story, what we need to realize is God doesn't do things our way. And it could be so frustrating to us because for some reason, I mean, we think, we all naturally think that we know what's best, and that's just not true. Right? We think we have the overall picture, but we don't. We think we know what's best for the world or our country or our family or, or our own lives. But we don't have the bird's eye view like God does. We don't know how things play into the future. It's very similar to the story of Job that we talked about uh, for five weeks uh, over the summer, remember? Right? Job, uh, he's, he's, he's got everything going on, and, and he just loses his, his whole life, just spins out of control. He loses his health, he loses his kids, he loses his wealth. His wife's telling him to die. All, the, all this bad stuff is happening in Job. And remember how Job responds? He starts crying out to God. He's just like, why? I don't understand. Why? Why would you allow this to happen to me? Why would you allow this to happen to my kids? Why would you allow this to happen in my life? God, I demand an answer why. Remember, God does show up. He shows up in this, like, tornado. Huh? plug in, this tornado, whirlwind type thing, all right, and, uh, and, and God starts answering Job. Actually, God doesn't answer the questions that Job has. God just comes down and he starts questioning Job, right? And, and, and throughout the whole thing, basically God's whole message to Job is, Job, you don't understand a lot of things like I do. This thing is, it's, then that's okay, all you need to know is that I am in control and I am good and you need to trust me. And this is exactly where Gideon is at that moment. He's afraid. His life's on the line. He has questioned God. He's questioning God's plan because this doesn't really seem to make any sense. And then in verse 9 it says this. It says, that night the Lord said to him, he says, hey, get up and uh, attack the camp for I've handed it over to you. Woohoo!" And I don't know if Gideon uh, hesitated or like, ugh. I don't know, because God says this. He says, but if you are afraid, Gideon, to attack the camp, even though I've already promised you, even though I said it's going to work out, even though I've told you this is my plan, my plan is way better than yours, he says, then do this. Go down with Pura, your servant. He says, and listen to what they say, and then you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So, you know, Gideon says, okay, no, no, I got your plan. I know your plan. I'm good with your plan. I trust you, God. All right, no need for that. Let's, let's, let's go to battle. All right, no, actually, he doesn't do that. He says, so Gideon's like, 
Okay. All right. So he goes down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the troops who were in the camp. And he says, now the Midianites and Malachites and all the people of the east, they had settled down in the valley like a swarm of locusts, and their camels were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Basically, the author is saying, there are a lot of people down there. The army is huge. He says, when Gideon arrived, there was a man telling his friend about a dream, he said. Okay, dreams are weird. This is why I don't tell people my dreams, because they're all usually super weird. And he says this. This is the dream. He says, listen, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp and struck a tent, and it fell. Crazy dream, right? All right, that's a dream worth, worth noting. All right, I don't know if this guy's super hungry or what the situation is, but he's dreaming about this loaf of bread falling, coming down the hill. It hits a tent when it gets to the bottom, and the tent falls over, okay? It says the loaf uh, turned the tent upside down so that it collapsed, and his friend is like, whoa, I know what that means, uh, that, that is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has handed the entire Midianite camp over to him. All right? God, really. And when Gideon hears this, because he's sneaking around a bush, he's listening, he says, when Gideon heard the account of the dream and his interpretation, it says he bows in worship, and he returned to Israel's camp, and he said, get up, for the Lord has handed the Midianite camp over to you. So the men, they get up. It's in the middle of the night. They go out, and uh, they actually surround the Midianite camp. Only 300 of them, remember? They light some torches. They blow um, some, some trumpets or some horns. And the Midianite camp, they freak out, all right? They're, they think there's tens of thousands of people surrounding them. They don't know. It's dark outside. They don't know who's friend and who's not friend. And they, they break out their swords, and they actually start killing each other, not even on purpose, but they're just like, oh, Israelite, oh, Sorry, Fred, I didn't mean to. You know, it's like that. They're like killing each other, and they all run away, and they are, they are defeated. And uh, Israel finally has peace, and it lasts for 40 years. But here's the point of the story. God had a plan. And it didn't make any sense to Gideon. And Gideon questioned him. Right? And I'm assuming as we wrap up the year 2020, I'm assuming that a lot of us are in the same boat. And instead of worrying and stressing out about everything and trying to control every little thing in our life, what we need to do is we just need to do what God has called us to do, which is live our short life the way that he has told us to live. Live by focusing on reaching out to others in our community around us and standing up for what's right. And in reality, we don't have nearly as much control of our lives as we think. And God doesn't do things our way. Thank goodness for that. Because we screwed up. In Isaiah 55, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. I mean, picture this as God talking to you today. Okay? It's basically what's going on here. He's saying, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. He says, for as heaven is higher than the earth, basically what God's saying is, um, so from like the ground to the uh, stars, okay, trillions and trillions of miles, whatever that is. He says, for as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts, right? Now, this isn't God trying to rub it in like, you're on the ground, I'm at the stars, you know, that's the distance between our thinking, all right? This is what God, he's just saying, hey, trust me. 
He's saying, trust me, I got this. This is easy for me. Paul says in Romans 11, he says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. See, we ask why, like Job asked why and Gideon asked why. We ask, we ask why. We question God. We push back on God sometimes. Paul's like, man, you don't understand. Even if God were to tell you his plan, you wouldn't get it. Even if God were to explain it to you, you wouldn't be able to understand it because it's so much higher. And so for those of us in here, throughout the week, this next week, as things happen, because things will, and, and, and your life doesn't turn out, there's things in your life that you don't appreciate that don't turn out the way that you plan on it um, turning out, I want you to remember that even when we don't understand, even though when we don't get it, even though uh, God's plan in our minds makes no sense and things are not going the way that we think that they should go, or maybe it's just things are not going the way that we think is best. Remember, like Gideon did, that God knows what's going on and that he's in control. Yeah, his plans aren't gonna match yours. But that's a good thing. His plans are different. We can't begin to understand. But he's in control. And that should bring us really two things. Number one, it should bring us comfort. Right? Like, oh, I don't have to worry about all this stuff. I don't have to stress out about all this stuff. I don't have all this anxiety about, about this and that and that and that. I just hand that over to God. It's, it's his thing. And that should also lead us to trust at least strengthen our trust. God's got this. He's in control. His ways are so much higher than ours. Let's pray. God, we, um, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for this, this story. In Gideon, some, something that happened thousands of thousands of years ago, but it turns out that Gideon, he's not that much different than we are. He struggled with the same things. He questioned you just like a lot of us questioned, questioned you. But God, we ask that you would help us trust. Help us build that trust. Lord, help us to, to, to trust you on everything that's going on, not just it, with COVID and the election and our nation, and, and, but even, even in our personal lives. God, our plan, your plan won't necessarily match ours, and we know that that's a good thing. And we thank you for caring for us and loving us. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.